Welcome to the Classroom Commute Podcast, a podcast for elementary teachers who want to feel inspired each week on your ride into school. I'm your host, Rachel, and my goal is to give you simple and actionable 21st century teaching strategies that you can take into your classroom to spark the love of learning in your students. You are already amazing, and together we're going places. Thanks for taking me along for the ride. Hey teachers, happy summer. Have you heard? We're switching things up here on the Classroom Commute podcast and we're trading in our daily drive to school with a summer teacher road trip. What's that mean? Well, each week this summer, we are visiting some of the most popular tourist destinations, aka the most popular podcast episodes of this past school year. So listen in, get re-inspired, and best of all, make sure you have joined our email family so that you can snag some exclusive freebies that only they will get and get access to hot summer deals at the Classroom Nook Teacher Shop. We'll link up all the details in the show notes so you don't miss out. All right, grab your favorite road trip snack and let's get started. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of The Classroom Commute. Holy cow, this is episode 95. We are gonna hit episode 100 before we ring in the new year. So this is super exciting. And actually in January, which is crazy to think is only a couple of months away now, The Classroom Commute will be celebrating two years. So for two years, I brought you a fresh episode each week. I think I only missed one or two weeks in that whole time frame, likely because of the craziness of the pandemic. So I'm sure you'll give me a past, but week after week, I have been showing up for you and doing my best to bring you the best tips and strategies that I know, that I research, that I learn from other teachers so that you can be more successful in your classroom. And I know from hearing from other teachers that this podcast is doing just that. Just yesterday, I received an email from a very sweet teacher talking about how she found my episodes on reading comprehension strategies and how as a new teacher, it just opened her eyes to exactly how to teach reading comprehension strategies to her students. So that is what I am here for. And I am so thankful that you are showing up week after week right along with me to listen in to another episode. And if you've been listening for a while and you don't have to have been listening for 95 episodes, but if you have been listening for a while, it would mean the world to me if you left a review and rating on iTunes to review this podcast and let other teachers know about it as well. And speaking of reviews, I recently received a review from Spartan in CA. I'm assuming that CA means California that says I've been teaching for 15 years and just found this podcast. Rachel brings great energy, and easy to use ideas that I can't wait to try this year. So thanks for that review, Spartan in CA. I am so glad that even after 15 years, you are still finding value and learning new things. So thanks for that review. And again, if you have a quick second and you wanna make my day, you can leave a review on iTunes that you are likely in that app right now. It just takes a quick minute, scroll down, and you will see the option to leave a rating and a review. So thanks so much in advance for that. All right, I mentioned I mentioned last week on the episode that I've been doing a bit of research and learning more and more about what's working in the classroom right now. I think it's extremely important to stay current and to always be reflecting and tweaking our teaching practices as our world changes. 
Last week, I shared my thoughts on how we can increase student success in the classroom, and I shared three actionable tips that you could start doing right now today to make that happen. And I want to point out that these are research-based strategies. I'm not just pulling them out of the air because they sound good. These are strategies that are being used today and practiced in today's classroom. So you can be confident that they will work in yours as well. Now, I don't know about you, but I have been guilty more than once of making myself the star of the show, meaning as a teacher, I often made the lessons more about me and how I was teaching it rather than how my students were learning it. So often this looked like me standing in front of the classroom with my anchor charts or whatever I was using, doing all the talking and inviting minimal participation. And when I did invite participation, I was sure to call on those students that I knew would know the answer because let's be honest, it made me feel good about it. Guilty as charged. But I've noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed, that the days of standing in front of the classroom and having students do most of the listening and you doing most of the talking just don't work. And to be honest, it likely never worked. We just didn't know any better or we just didn't know any alternatives at the time. It may have worked for some students, you know, the ones that can basically learn in any environment, but for the students that needed to be more engaged and have it be more interactive, not so much. So today, I want to explore six components or elements of a successful lesson. Lessons that are student-centered and not teacher-focused. Now, you might not have all six components in every single lesson that you do. But I would suggest trying to have as many as possible and if you can, use at least all six somewhere throughout your school day, even if you don't touch on them in each lesson. All right, let's begin. Let me first give you the list of the six components so that you know what's coming and where we're heading and then we'll dive into each one separately. The six components of successful lesson are one, student independence, two, engaging visuals, three, self-paced, four, student choice, five, technology, and six, multimedia. All right, let's break these down one by one. Component number one is a successful lesson includes student independence. So what do I mean by this? Well, it's kind of the opposite of the picture I painted for you just a few moments ago with me, the teacher, always doing the work, always doing the talking, and standing in front of a class. A lesson that offers student independence gives students just what they need, meaning the directions, the modeling, the modifications, but then allows students to do the work. It's on them to show that what they've learned. It may be an unpopular opinion, but teachers don't actually need to be doing all the teaching. There are so many other ways that students can learn and consume new information that doesn't come from the teacher directly, but rather through discovery. And we'll talk more about this in a minute when I talk about the multimedia component. When students are given the opportunity to discover new information on their own, they have more buy-in to the process. They take more ownership of their learning and they learn to be seekers of knowledge, which is ultimately the main purpose of education. They aren't going to go through their life with a teacher by their side, teaching them the new things that they need to learn. They need to learn to do it on their own and learn how to seek out new information. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't be providing the necessary supports, and we talked a lot about this in last week's episode on how to increase students' success. We talked about ways that we can support students through things like audio support and so on, and student independence might be something that you gradually release to your students. That's okay. I'm not suggesting that on the first day of school that your students should be able to work independently in centers with no problems. Our goal, however, should be to 
aim toward more student independence. And that is not to be mistaken with independent working, meaning the student is working by themselves. It means that students are responsible for learning the information, not just the teacher giving them the information that they need to know. So that's component number one. Component number two of a successful lesson is engaging visuals. This one you are likely already doing, but it is worth noting, and it's also worth noting that these visuals should vary. For example, if you're teaching about the Civil War and social studies, you can include a variety of visuals to help students fully understand the concepts. Visuals like timeline graphics so that they can see how the events and the battles line up, or visuals like real photographs of the time period of those specific events and battles, or newspaper articles that talk about those events and battles, or artifacts, or a T-chart showing the differences between the North and the South during that time. And yes, even clip art works as a visual when used appropriately. The point is, you never know what kind of visuals will connect with students, so by switching up your visuals, keeping them fresh, giving them lots of options to take in the same information, will keep students engaged and interested. Visuals reiterate what they are learning. They reinforce things that they might be hearing or reading about. It just adds another layer of understanding. Now, before I continue on our talk about the six components of successful lessons, I have to interrupt because I have a super exciting announcement and one that will make implementing these six components a whole lot easier. If you've been around for a while, then I know you've heard me talk about Linktivity Interactive Learning Guides. Now, if you are unfamiliar, think of them like a multimedia, self-paced, student-controlled, engaging eduventure. Do those descriptors sound familiar? Because they should. They are the exact components we are talking about today that make a lesson successful. And they are the exact components that I have embedded in Linktivities. And that's not a mistake. They are designed so that students can learn about a new topic any topic by exploring videos, texts, graphics, images, and do it all by themselves at their own pace. There's even an option to have text within the Linktivity read right to the students, so it makes Linktivities super accessible for all learners. Students simply click on a link to bring up their Linktivity and they start exploring on their own pace and it's 100% controlled by them. Therefore, it increases motivation, student buy-in, all that good stuff. Some Linktivities even have a built-in drag-and-drop knowledge check so that students can test themselves on what they've learned throughout the Linktivity. Anyway, all that to say is that I've just opened the doors to Linktivity Learning. It's a membership where teachers can get access to my entire library of Linktivities for one low monthly or annual price. And the best part is that once you're a member, you not only get access to the Linktivities that are already inside the membership, which by the way, includes some exclusive Linktivities that are only only inside the membership, like my new Linktivity series on grammar called Geogrammar, Exploring Grammar and the World Together, which is super awesome. (laughs) But not only will you get access to all of the ones that are currently there, but you'll get immediate access to all future Linktivities added each month to the membership, and it's all included right in your membership at no extra charge. So instead of having to purchase new Linktivities separately on TPT as they're released, you'll already have access to them inside your membership. It's already included. In fact, right now, I'm only adding new Linktivities inside the membership. So if you want to get your hands on the newest, the latest, the greatest, and even some of the old favorites, you've got to get inside the Linktivity Learning membership. You can find out more at classroomnook.com forward slash Linktivity, L-I-N-K-T-I-V-I-T-Y. All right, let's keep going on to component number three. 
Okay, this next component of a successful lesson I feel is a big one. It's one of the bigger ones that leads to more student success. And that is that successful lessons allow students to be self-paced. I don't have to tell you that your students are all on different levels, all over the map. And for some students, they simply can't keep up with the pace of working with a whole class or even in a small group. And on the flip side, sometimes the pace of the class is much too slow for students, which then just leads to a whole host of other issues. They get bored, they'll start acting out, you know how it goes. So for many students to succeed, often they just need to slow down. And in some cases, they need to speed up. My point is we need to provide more opportunities for students to go at their own pace, whatever that pace may be. If we allow students to work through an activity in a pace that works for them, we are giving our students the space that they need to, again, take ownership of their learning and to make sense of what they're learning in their own time. And again, we still need to provide the necessary support and guidance to get them started, but then we need to empower students to go from there. Creating a lesson that includes elements of being self-paced leads me to my next component. Successful lessons include student choice. Student choice has been a hot topic in classrooms lately, and for good reason. We know that when students feel like they have a choice, and one of those choices is the pace at which they work, like we just mentioned, they're more motivated. And who wouldn't be? Nobody likes to be told what to do and how to do it all the time. Sometimes we need that, but other times providing a more looser environment that puts students in the driver's seat is important too. And I think that student choice often gets misunderstood. I think it's misunderstood because of the rise of choice boards in the classroom. When we hear student choice, we automatically think, choice boards that gives students a set of nine or so activities to choose from to show their learning. Now, I love choice boards and I think they are great and are one way to offer choice, but it doesn't always have to be that involved or complicated. In fact, I'll link to a blog post in the show notes that I wrote a while ago about how to give students more choice in the classroom. So if you head to classroomnook.com forward slash 96, you'll see that link. But choice can also be simple. It can be as simple as allowing students to choose where they learn in the classroom. Do they have to sit in their seat or can they grab a carpet square or go sit on the beanbag chair? It may seem like a simple choice, but you and I both know how excited kids get with these simple options. It could be as simple as giving them a choice with who they work with. It could be as simple as giving them a choice with the order that they have to complete something. Linktivities are a perfect example of this. In most linktivities, there are several categories that offer different options to choose from. And in most cases, it doesn't matter what order they go in. For example, I have a linktivity about the five U.S. regions where they can pick whichever region they want to travel to first. Maybe they want to travel to the Northeast region and explore New York City first. Or maybe they want to watch a video of a plane flying over Washington, D.C. to see all the different monuments before they read about the destination. The point is, is that they have the choice and it doesn't matter what they go to first. And when they have this choice, they have bought into the process of learning. So think about ways that you can offer more choice in your lessons. And to be clear, choice does not have to come with chaos. If you've listened to the podcast often, you know the value that I put into establishing routines and procedures in the classroom. I talk about it all the time. And this is why when you've set the foundation of routines and procedures and expectations in your classroom, it just sets you up for success in all areas of the classroom. If you want to offer choice in where your students work in the classroom, they need to know the expectations for sitting in a beanbag chair or working with partners or so on. Set the foundation first early on in your school year and everything else can build upon it. Now, the self-paced and student choice components that we just talked about will 
only work if students are engaged and want to keep learning and are motivated to keep learning. That's where these last two components come into play. And they're almost one and the same, but not completely. So that's why I've kept them separate. The second to last component is the use of technology. And the last component is multimedia. So let's first tackle technology. Now, I might get some pushback on this, but I believe that using technology in the classroom should no longer be an option. Now, before you get upset with me and tell me that you don't have the resources in your classroom, I get that. I was in a very high needs, high poverty school with limited tech resources. So if that's you, all I ask is that you do your best with what you have. If you have one computer cart or a computer lab for your school, do what you can with what you have. But I also know that most schools do have access to at least some technology on a regular basis. The complete truth is our students need to know how to use technology. When they get into middle school and high school and college and beyond, when they go to get jobs out in the real world, they're going to be asked to use technology. So we need to provide learning experiences that include technology. Successful lessons incorporate technology where appropriate so that students learn not only how to navigate websites or online activities, but that they also learn how to be good digital citizens and learn how to be responsible in their use of technology. So for us who work with younger students at the elementary level, now is the time to begin that tech journey with your students in a controlled and safe environment so that they're comfortable with it and that they learn the basic features and functions and so on. And through technology, we can open our students' worlds wide open. They can use things like Google Earth to not just read about Egyptian pyramids, but now they can see it in 3D and they can manipulate the screen and move it around and see up and down and all around. It's amazing. Or we can use technology to not just talk about weather and climate, but to watch videos about severe weather, actually what it looks like and how it looks when it's happening. Which brings me to component number six, multimedia. Technology makes multimedia possible. So just to make sure we're all on the same page, a simple definition of multimedia is a form of communication that combines different content forms such as text, audio, images, animation, or video into a single interactive presentation, keyword there being interactive, in contrast to traditional media that features little to no interaction such as printed material. We need multimedia elements in our lessons on a regular basis. Multimedia content allows students to learn something new and explore it from all angles. They aren't just reading about rocks and minerals in a textbook. Now they can see real photos of what it looks like or watch eye-catching videos or hear audio clips about it. Through multimedia, they can gain a complete understanding about something. Learning about multimedia really has been huge for me. I've really dug into the research here because it 1000% supports what I've been trying to do with Linktivities. I don't just want Linktivities to be cool, although spoil alert, they totally are. <laughs> I want them to be research-based. I want them to be backed up by best practices in a 21st century classroom, and I want them to be what's truly best for students. So I'm actually gonna put a pin in our conversation here about multimedia because next week I've got an entire episode all about multimedia instruction lined up for you and how we can really up our game using multimedia. I am a lot excited to dive into this topic with you more, and I hope that it gets you equally as excited about what's possible in your classroom using multimedia, combined with all the other components of a successful lesson that we've talked about here today. But I will leave it there for now, and before I go, I want to remind you that you can now get access to my entire library of Linktivities that's 60 plus and growing all in one place inside the Linktivity Learning Membership, your all-access pass to all things Linktivity. So just head over to Classroom 
nook.com forward slash linktivity to learn more. All right, that's all I have for you today. I hope you have a great rest of your day, a good start to your week, and I will be back again next week with another episode. Bye for now.